Before we get into the show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Long hours, small teams, uninspiring content. Marketing for a startup is hard work. Thankfully, HubSpot for Startups can help you grow your business without growing your stress. Their all-in-one platform connects all your teams together. Plus, they have a bunch of resources to help you scale, and they offer discounts up to 90% off. So if you're ready to crush your marketing, look no further than HubSpot for Startups. To see how much you can save, visit HubSpot.com startups. Hey, Kieran, when I tell you LinkedIn, Amazon, Google, what do you immediately think of? I think two incredibly good stock picks over the last 10 years and LinkedIn. <laughs> well, what you should be thinking about are big category leaders that have grown by successfully using frameworks, which is exactly what we're going to talk about on today's show. Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast for how to grow in counterintuitive ways. I'm your host, Kit Bodner. I'm joined as always by Kieran Flanagan. Kieran, what is up? You've got a rainbow pug picture in the background. Presses, what's going on? We're going to go all in TikTok, YouTube. And to do that, I think you need multicolored paintings of animals. <laughs> well, if you want to see some multicolored art, you really want to start tuning into the video. We all know that people love pets on the internet. So, I mean, I, I think our YouTube number is going to go through the roof just for that. Let's go. At some point, we can arrange for a, a portrait of you with your pugs and, you know, like in this old medieval chair. You know, way back in like ancient times, pugs were used by emperors within China and other countries to warm feet. And there you go. There's a little pug fact. Start off the day. So in an upcoming episode, <laughs> Kieran's going Kieran's gonna to have a sick portrait of him and some pugs. But for today, Kieran, we are talking about frameworks. We're talking about three types of frameworks that can change your business. Frameworks. That's what people need. Look, here's the deal. When it comes to frameworks, people obsess over like, oh, what is this perfect framework for my business? Or, oh, Amazon, they use this framework, so I need to use the working backwards framework too. No, that doesn't matter at all. The frameworks you use don't matter. It's about having clear focus areas and having some type of framework that what matters. The specific framework doesn't matter at all. It is about being clear of where you are focused on your business and having something that works to kind of crystallize your thinking for that aspect of your business. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree? Do you think there are magical frameworks out there that people have to follow those specific frameworks? I think some frameworks are a incredible foundation to get aligned and focused on certain areas of your business. Like Amazon, a lot of Amazon's frameworks, I do think build good habits and good rituals. I'm a fan of the press release framework where you, that is the working backwards, where you mm -mm. build a press release and you talk about the thing you want to do within that press release. And they used it for product launches, but you can use it for many other things. The thing that I think you're getting at, which I do agree with, is there's a ton of nuance. Yes. What works for Amazon or how Amazon used that framework may be very different for how you have to use that framework within your business. So do I think frameworks have a lot of advantages and a lot of benefits to leveraging within companies? Yes. I think there's different flavors of that framework that likely works for you. But I would prefer for companies to have frameworks in really important places than just chaos. And I think frameworks definitely help you to alleviate some of that chaos, get aligned, get focused. Well, so a hot take number two on frameworks before we get into our three frameworks we're going to talk about today is most businesses have way too many frameworks. 
Oh. Like any business who actually has frameworks going, they've got 10, 20. They've got it for like everything. And if you got too many, then you essentially have none. You have to have a couple of core frameworks that you really use and align around. If every team's got their own frameworks, then you might as well have none. It's just the same chaos. So we should probably talk a little bit about what we think a framework is. Yes. Because I think what actually happens is businesses have all of these frameworks because they haven't become institutionalized within the business, right? They haven't really become the, you know, the core part of how the business operates. And so you have all of these teams with all of their own frameworks and none of them have actually become like core tent poles or core parts of how that business works. So, Kieran, break it down for everybody listening. Like, how do you describe a framework? Because there's a bunch of people here who probably are using a ton of them that are listening. There's probably a lot of people listening who, I don't know. I don't know what this framework thing is. Give people the baseline for how you think about frameworks. I like to think of frameworks, and this is not maybe not how everyone thinks of them. So, please feel free to get at me and argue. <laughs> I like to think of frameworks as playbooks. And playbooks are ways for you to help people understand the things that work and operationalize those. Let me tell you a really great story of a sports team that has developed world-class playbooks, Liverpool. I always want to get a story about Liverpool in because I'm a big Liverpool fan. <laughs> Jurgen Klopp is one of the greatest managers of all time. And one of the playbooks they have built is this kind of playbook built on pressing the other team and winning the ball back in a short amount of time because the quicker they can win the ball back, the more that they will have the ball, the more that they will score goals. And so they have this whole playbook around how they can push forward, pressure you and win the ball back. And they actually have data to show you how quickly they win the ball back from the opposition. That is a playbook that has been institutionalized into the fabric of the club. That's just how the club works. That is part of how the club win games. That is how frameworks help companies become very, very successful because they are easy for people to understand. They are easy for people to learn. And that's just how people work. That's just how that company succeeds. I freaking love that. And one of the reasons I love that is because one of the, our first principles that we didn't cover on our first principles pod, FYI, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the 10 first principles episode, go listen to it. It is fire. It, we've gotten a ton of amazing feedback. But one of the principles we didn't talk about on that show, Kieran, is it's always better to play offense than to play defense. Yes. Like when you're when you're being defensive and reactive, you are much more likely to lose. And the argument you're making that Liverpool example is, wow, without framework slash playbooks, you can't be on the offensive right. because everybody is misaligned. Everybody's kind of running around doing their own thing in that chaos by nature causes you to be more reactive, right? And less offensive and less proactive. And so what we are advocating for on today's show is all about taking this operational notion of frameworks and playbooks and using them in your business so you can be more offensive. That is the name of the game. So we're about to get into three key areas where we think you really need frameworks in your business. And remember, it's not about what frameworks you use back to the opening of the show. It is about being clear on the areas of your business that you need to get everyone on the same page of how we work and operate so you can play offense instead of playing defense in your business and your team. And so Kieran, we got three areas we're gonna cover today. We're gonna cover getting aligned. We're gonna cover go to markets, and we're going to cover hiring because those are three places where having crystal clear frameworks are really important. We also might make some fun of these frameworks a little <laughs> bit. We we're not here for over jargon. We're not here for kind of boring frameworks, but we are here to help you 
think about your business in a very different way. So you ready to talk alignment, Kieran, and how you get aligned as a team and as a company? Right. Every business struggles with this. And I actually had a conversation yesterday with someone exactly about this topic, which is like, how do some of these best in world-class companies stay aligned as they're growing really, really fast? So I have not seen the framework that you're going to gonna go through. I'm very interested to hear how you can do that. So one of the things that we love are examples of great companies doing interesting things. One of the companies out there who's got a really great alignment framework is Spotify. And Kieran, we love Spotify. Shout out to everybody who's listening to this pod right now on Spotify. And their kind of product and engineering team has a really good alignment framework. And what's interesting about this, before I go into this framework, Kieran, is that in this article, which we'll link up in the show notes, what they actually show is they've used different frameworks over the evolution of their team. So the other thing I would point out is you might get aligned to do something and you might do it that way for a few years. And then it, the business might change and evolve where you need to adopt a new way of working, a new framework, a new playbook for working. So for Spotify, for example, they started with objectives, key results as their kind of way that they got aligned. And that lasted for about five years. Then they moved to a different model that they called priorities and achievements. This is all kind of jargony, I know. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Now they have a third model they're doing that's called Spotify Rhythm. And what I like about this is because they have a very clear framework for arguing, Kieran. Do you know how much we love to argue on this pod? I was I was hoping we were going into all of the results and things, blah, 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 blah. blah, blah, blah. Who cares about that stuff? Let's get into arguing. Arguing. How do you have a framework for arguing? This is more the important stuff. We don't want any of this business stuff <laughs> that people talk to us. We want to figure out how to argue better. Yes. And so if you're thinking about their framework for arguing, which is, is actually pretty interesting, they call it DIB, D-I-B-B is their kind of acronym for it. Look. Uh, people listening, you're never going to be able to talk about frameworks without acronyms. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's four stages to it, Kieran. You start with data, you know, and in Spotify's example, like how people listen to music is, is, it is an example. So what is the data around how people listen to music? And what did they observe, Kieran? People listen to it more on mobile and less on desktop. And then from that data, you find an insight. And so their insight was hey, mobile is overtaking desktop as a primary music way of listening to music. Then what I love is this next step, Kieran. You go from insight to belief. All good arguments start from beliefs. And what their belief was is, oh my gosh, WTF, we're optimized the wrong thing. We're spending too much time on desktop and not enough time on mobile. This is like an example from several years ago, right? Before mobile was as obvious as it was now. And the last B in this framework is bet is take that belief and do something about it. Make a change about it. And one of the things that I love about this, it's pretty clear framework for how to argue on something because data I like this. always anchors you as to what we're actually talking about. And all the argument should be around the belief and what, what we believe is based on the data and insights. Is that actually right or not? And I think what's, what's funny in the pod, Kieran, I feel like you and I, most of what we argue is about beliefs, mm. right? We'll look at data, we'll look at an example, and we'll have different interpretations of that. And we'll have a debate. And that debate normally ends up in some place neither one of us were thinking about, but is actually the right answer. All right. So that is the Spotify framework for arguing slash getting aligned, right? Because if you aren't arguing, you can't get aligned right? If you don't have that conflict, this is my fundamental take in life. If you can't have that conflict, you can't argue, then you're normally probably not in alignment, right? What do you think of the Spotify framework? So this is a good example of a framework because it's so easy to make part of how you do things, right? 
every time you're coming to the table with a proposition, make sure that you have data and insight, make sure you kind of state your belief and then the bet you want to make. It's actually a really good framework because that is an easy thing to teach people. And then as to your point, what are we arguing about? We're probably arguing about, do we believe this to be true or not based upon the insight and the data? Yes. And actually, do we think that this is a bet we're taking? So it probably actually moves the arguments into a certain specific area. And then you still are going to have some, you know, disagreements because beliefs are beliefs and prioritization is prioritization, but at least it moves it along. So you actually have clear data and insights to actually back those things up. I think a lot of the times people either have an insight with no real data to back it up, or they have data with a kind of half-baked insight on that data. Yes. I love that. And that's where we go wrong. All right. So, so that was getting aligned. So go to market, I think, is a tricky place to have a framework, right? Lots of frameworks exist. You've probably heard product market fit and all of these different things. And we will explain some of that typical jargon. But I wanted to kind of go in and say, has there been any great frameworks that are useful for businesses that you could actually use as your playbooks when you're trying to grow? One of the best ones actually has come from Brian Balfour. I read this some time back. Brian Balfour, ex-Hubspotter, helped to grow Sidekick and Signals, now CEO of the Awesome Reforge. And he wrote this entire series about go-to-market frameworks and the four kinds of fit. First thing I want to tell our listeners about this kind of model that Brian's built around the four phases of fit is because it really speaks to one of the first principles that we discussed on that first principle show. And I love the fact that smart people like Brian actually agree with us, which is product market fit for the most part is a solution looking for a problem. So what is product market fit for our listeners? Product market fit is I built a product. Now I need to go find customers to use product. And I need to see those customers or a subset of those customers using it on a continual basis. So my retention flattens out. Retention is the number of people who stick around and basically use your product. Brian's argument is you should start with problem first, not solution first. And we talked about this in the first principles, and he thinks you should start with market product fit. Clearly define market, basically clearly define who is in the market, the category of tools that you belong to, the problem that you solve, and why these customers are motivated to use you. And then you can actually build the kind of product hypothesis and why you fit with that market, right? So you actually figure out what the market is, the problems you're solving, the category of tools you belong to, and then you can actually figure out if your product fits to that problem versus building your product, which is a solution, and then trying to fit that to your market. So it's just the opposite way around. What do you think about that, Kip? I think that's a good counterintuitive framework from Brian that's not typically spoken about, but is actually right. One, I think it's completely right. We're going to agree on this. And what I love about it is one of the things for everybody listening is it might sound silly, but one of the most counterintuitive things you can do is obsess about your customer versus the business you're trying to build. And that is what is happening here in Brian's framework. He is trying for you to be very clear on the problem and the people you serve who have that problem versus, well, I have an idea and I'm going to go build this idea for these people. Yeah. And I think that is the core opportunity here. And I love that. So I talked to a founder recently, actually, and was asking him one of the questions I always ask founders if you're going to think about doing a angel deal is how did you arrive at this solution or how did you arrive mm -hmm. at this problem? Talk to me about the journey you arrived at this problem. Love that. And actually, the I, I wonder if you see the same thing. The best founders are like, oh, well, I went and talked to thousands of people 
and figured out the problems they had and then started to build a product that could solve those problems. That's a version of what Brian's saying, really. It's like market product fit. It's like truly understanding the problem and then building a product to solve that problem. We just saw that happen in practice, actually, with the Figma deals. I was going to just say the Figma thing. I was going to just say that. <laughs> I stole his thunder, everybody listening. No, but Dylan Feld, who, who started Figma, he did exactly that, right? Yeah. Th that business had four or five years of defining problem and figuring out that business before it really got any traction. And then after it got traction, he just kind of traveled the world and obsessed about talking to customers, reading help tickets and support tickets, all of those things to understand how to really grow and scale that business. And I think that's a great example of Brian's framework in action. And Figma just sold to Adobe for $20 billion. Yeah. Like that's pretty incredible. Yeah, he was renowned for obsessing over customers and to make you feel awful about yourself. Dylan <laughs> Feel, I think, started Figma when he was 19. He was part of the Teal Foundation. So that, that sucks. But congrats <laughs> to him and the team. <laughs> Is this a daily dose of Kieran feeling inadequate in the world? Uh, and do we need to have a therapy session with everybody listening now? It just makes you... <laughs> what was I doing at 19? God, I was doing nothing of much. Screwing around with your friends, probably. It all works out in the end. <laughs> You're going to be okay. All right. We've got four phases of fit. <laughs> We've got four <laughs> phases of fit. We've gone from market product fit. So the next one, I want to quickly go, we just got two more quick ones, but the other one we've talked about before, but it just continues to come up in nearly all of the conversations I have with startups and founders that is so misunderstood as, okay, you found your market product fit. I found a problem that I can solve through this product. The next thing I need to figure out is my product channel fit. Like all of these things need to fit together. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Ooh. And so your product channel fit is, let me go through a typical conversation I have kept because, you know, <laughs> I've done some writing on product-led growth. You have. Some, you know, people often ask for my help uh, around product-led growth. I'm not sure why though. I mean, you you don't know that much. Come on, because I'm, <laughs> I'm the product-led growth guy. Come see me, come <laughs> at me if you want product-led growth in your, in your business. All right. I'm going to buy productledgrowthguy.com and put my picture on it. And that's just what the whole domain's going to be. <laughs> I'm going to buy even better productledgrowthguy. <laughs> All right. Product channel fit. Product channel fit. All right. So typical, I, so I arrive, I'm on my Zoom call. I'm going to open up that Zoom and the founder goes, hey, like one of the things we really need to figure out, we're doing this PLG thing and I need virality, right? I need virality. Ooh, so how do we make that happen? I'm like, okay, well, the rules of virality. Here are the rules. You do not set the rules. The channel sets the rules. Oh, it's like Fight Club, but for marketing. Yes, this is okay. This is actually great. Channel Fight Club. Channel Fight Club. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Channel Pokemon. You can actually have a channel with certain criteria and fight those against other channels. And so <laughs> the rules of virality. If I have the virality Pokemon card, what do my rules say? Product needs to have a short time to value, which means I can come in as a user, find the value very, very quickly. It applies to a broad set of users. Virality is a top of the funnel play. How do I drag in a lot of the users and market into my product? And for the most part, it needs to be easier to share with other potential users of your product, which people really don't understand, which is like, I, by using this product, have other people like me in my network, and I can easily share this product through the usage of the product with those people in my network. Typical example is, you know, Dropbox and their incentivized referral program. There's other people like me who need storage. I can get money back off my payment plan. So I send Dropbox to those people who also want storage. The important thing here is every channel actually has a set of rules and the channel dictates the rules. 
And just because you want that channel to work for your product does not mean that will actually happen. You either need to build that into your roadmap or that it, your product just naturally fits with the rules of the channel. And so what I say to the founder is no, no virality for you. <laughs> your product is a backend accountancy platform that no one is ever going to see, share with anyone else, and it's not easy to use. Let's talk about other things other than PLG, which you can use to still have an incredibly cool business. And so product channel fit has to be part of how you think about growing your business. <laughs> Kip, over to you. What Pokemon cards do you want to throw at me to fight against my virality card. I love that your Pokemon and Fight Club example when it comes to market channel fit, but that's that's right. Every, every channel out there that you use to build and grow your business has a set of constraints and rules around it. And it's like play on the Fight Club joke here. It's like the first rule of Fight Club is we don't talk about Fight Club. Like the exact opposite is true. It's like the first rule of channels when it's gone bad is like people just pick one because they think it's cool and they want to do it. And they don't do actually any understanding of what the rules of that channel actually are to know if they could be successful. Yeah, yeah. And what we're saying here is we kind of close up the topic on like kind of go to market frameworks. We are saying it's less specific around what frameworks you use. But man, there are a bunch of important decisions in your go-to-market that need really thoughtful consideration. And having a framework makes it much easier for you. Kieran just gave us a great example of a channel framework of how you think about channels and specifically like virality. That applies to any of the marketing work that you are doing to try to grow your business. And if you don't right. have a framework to evaluate, you're just basically by putting your finger up in the wind and seeing which way it's blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to come back and do a full episode. We should. So there's two other forms of fit and they all, again, need to fit together like a podcast. But the one, the one I really want to talk about that I think Brian does a great job of laying out is channel model fit. And I actually think when we get into that episode, most businesses fail because they get that part wrong. And so we're going to do a whole episode maybe of the examples of companies who got channel model fit wrong and ended up dying a horrible death. Heck yes. That in the podcast biz is what they call a tease, ladies and gentlemen, upcoming episode coming in hot. All right, Kieran, I got one more area of focus and then we're going to play a game. You ready for that? Let's go. So the final area we want to cover is hiring. You have to have some type of framework for hiring. If you don't have the right people, it all fails. It all falls down. And Kieran, I got a very simple framework that I want to share with you. You ready for this? If name Kieran Flanagan, awesome hire. Let's go. <laughs> if name Kieran Flanagan, giant pain in the ass, argumentative, will, will likely cause you to be miserable every day. Do not hire. I, I want that on my LinkedIn as a recommendation from Kit Bodner. No, but I, I was reading an awesome Medium article by a woman named Julia Stinglitz, and she worked at GSV Ventures, Coursera, Google, a bunch of awesome places. And she has a startup hiring framework that I think is is pretty simple, but works. And and it's basically, there are five five areas that you need to, to kind of think about when you're hiring for your, your growing business, which is leadership and achievement. Can they actually lead people and do they have a history of actually achieving things in the past? Learning ability, how quickly and, and how able are they to learn new things? Strategic thinking, can they solve problems? If you're listening to marketing against the grain, you're a strategic thinker because you're looking for more new information to solve problems better. Role-related experience. So do they have actually the specific things that you're looking for in this role? And then the last aspect is cultural fit. Do they, do, are they a part of the mission and organization that we're trying to build? 
And what I think is really interesting about this framework, Kieran, is that most companies do one step. They do role-related experience, right? That's 80 to 100% of the criteria is, oh, well, I'm hiring this person for this role, and I need to know that they have done this role before and can come in and do this role really well here. That is a bullshit way to think about it. And it's not what we do here on Marketing Against the Grain because that is what everybody does. The counterintuitive way is exactly what Julie is proposing here, which is to consider that, but that's 20% of the consideration, not 80 to 100% of the consideration. You also wanna look at ability to learn, the ability to lead and achieve strategic thinking and how they're gonna fit into your culture overall. What do you think about my simple framework on hiring and how important it is to have a hiring framework? I think our episode on hiring went into a bunch of this where we really did. Oh, we did. Talk about the the problems and challenges with over-reliance on experience. I think culture is a big part of it. I do think that there's maybe one of the controversial things I think is the biggest mistake companies and people make is actually hiring people they want to be friends with Ooh. and not hiring people that are great at their job. And I think that, that's why you start to just see a whole team that are carbon copies of the hiring manager because they just want to hang out with those people. Ah, they probably can do the job. And yeah, they they get this kind of, you know, natural conversation in the interview. And they're like, oh, I can just see myself working with that person. And so I do think culture is a big part, but not the culture that you have to be. That person does not need to be your best friend for them to be an impactful employee and an impactful member of your team. And I think it's really hard to separate those things. And you have to have really good intuition and really good ability to remove those kind of biases you have to be able to pick people that you naturally would not want to hang out with, but you think are going to be much better employees, members of the team. I think it's worse than people you want to hang out with. It's about people who will agree with you instead of having the hard discussion to tie it all the way back to the mm. to the to the alignment conversation we had a few minutes ago i think people are very too often to hire people who agree with them instead of bring and have a really good and healthy debate and argument and that is a critical important part of growth and i think that's why you need a clear framework on hiring so you just don't succumb to your bias and hire people who agree with you can i add one in that i think is really oh, important for the most sure. part people say it's like the number one characteristic of a founder, but I do think this characteristic helps anyone, particularly in high growth companies, is grit. Ooh, just grind it out, perseverance. Just the ability to keep, when things are really hard, when you have to get that presentation done last minute, when you're asked for that report, you know, the same day, and you have to have it ready at the end of the day, when your best person has left and is going somewhere else and you're like, oh, I don't even know how I'm gonna cover that person and what they need to do and get all of the stuff I need to get done. When things are blowing up all around you, it is the grit to just keep on going and grinding that. forward that really helps to delineate between people, I think, that are truly successful and have real impact and people who kind of like, oh, this is too hard for me. I'm going to throw in the towel and jump ship and go somewhere else. That is a perfect closing note of hiring. Okay, so normally for everybody listening, we close the show with a, with a little summary, but I want to take a little twist on the summary, Kieran, and I want to play a game to summarize today. You ready? You ready for this game? I'm ready. I'm, I always like games. Because I win. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you liked winning, and you never win when we play. So I, I would have thought you would have not liked these games, but whatever. The last game we played, Darren picked my stuff more. Oh, no, he didn't, actually, because I went to jail. Yeah, you should tune in for the last no, game the we last played. game we played, I won. All right, we're playing a little game to close out today's episode called Only One Can Stay. So we just talked about three critical areas for frameworks. How you get aligned as a team, 
how you build and align your go-to-market and how you think about hiring and building your teams in your company. If you could only keep one of those three and you were allowed to have one area to have frameworks in your entire business and the rest were just gonna run amok like craziness, what are you gonna pick to keep? My favorite is actually Brian's go-to-market model because I'm a go-to-market fanatic, but I actually think that one I would keep is Spotify's model in terms of argument alignment because it's so simplistic. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to instrument. And actually there's not a lot of nuance needed. Like I think you can copy and paste that and it will be as impactful in one company as the other. So I'm gonna go with Spotify, dib, dib, dib. Okay, I think that's a really good one. I I'm gonna make the argument for a hiring model, whether it be the model we talked about or a different model. I think if you could only have one framework, having consistency of the team you're building and having everybody thinking the same way coming into the business is going to, to make all of the future collaboration and strategic work far, far better. And even if you don't have frameworks in place, they're gonna be able to figure workarounds around that. So I'm gonna disagree with you and I'm gonna go hiring over alignment. But what's interesting, I think to everybody listening, is we both picked ones that were not like rigorous strategy frameworks. They were people and operational frameworks. And I think that is the key takeaway that I would listen here is that sometimes we obsess about getting organized in our strategy and our problem solving. It's actually more important to get aligned in our people and our processes. What do you think? Do you agree with my summary there? The world belongs to people who are good operations, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I think I think there's just more, much more nuance and complexity in go-to-market models. And I don't think there's many great frameworks out there. I think Brian's is the best that I have read, but I think we are picking frameworks and playbooks that are easier to copy and paste across organizations. Love that. All right. That, we, we have a jam-packed show. we got to jump everybody. We will see you very soon on a brand new episode of Marketing Against the Grain. Thanks for listening this week.